This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for November 11, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from, well, the path of an active hurricane. At the time that I am recording this, Hurricane Nicole, which it was officially dubbed about a half hour ago, the outer, 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 outer bands are just beginning to strum the east coast of florida specifically the Cocoa beach daytona beach uh span if you are familiar with florida geography and yet here i am in orlando (laughs) i i wrapped up our live stream which was our wednesday episode and uh uh hopped on uh gb news which is a uh as as I was informed by many, many opinionated Brits on Twitter, is a right-leaning UK news network. Um, previously, I had only known it as the news network that asked me to uh, grace their breakfast show so I could give my opinions, and I was very happy to do it. Uh, but I did that. That was at about 2 o'clock in the morning. I then went to sleep, woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning, got on a plane, and got to the Orlando International Airport before they shut it down because it is Gloria Young's birthday weekend. So hopefully we will get a little cameo from her on this episode as well. But what I had designed this episode to be is a uh, a little AMA. You know, to be totally honest with you, we've been running so hot leading up to the midterms that I wanted an episode that I didn't have to put a ton of thought into to wrap up the uh, midterm week. So I have a bunch of questions from you guys. Many of them are relating to the outcome of the election. Uh, Some of them are just more esoteric. So uh, we will go through all of those in a moment. Before I do, though, let's update you on where we are right now. These situations may have changed by the time that you get this. I will probably put this out a little bit earlier, maybe on Thursday and not Friday, because it'll be done early. But uh, as of right now, we still are waiting to find out the final tallies from Nevada and Arizona. In Nevada. Currently, as I am recording this, Adam Laxalt is up 3.77% remaining, although the counties that remain to be counted are largely Clark County and Washoe County. That is Reno. So you would imagine that in the most populous counties where the most liberals live, that that would be good for Catherine Cortez Masto. The question is, is it good enough? Currently, Catherine Cortez Masto sits at 395,866 votes. Adam Laxalt at 418,461. Are there enough in there to make up the difference? We do not know. In Arizona, 
Mark Kelly currently running ahead of Blake Masters. That has been a real goofy election. I mean, you know, at a certain point, if you don't want election deniers, then the people counting the votes in the election need to understand that the longer these things take and the more screw-ups happen in the process, the more that you are asking for election deniers. It's like that old Archer meme. I mean, not to big up this, the great state of Florida, while I am in her bosom, but when 2000 happened and Florida was the world's laughingstock in running elections and it indeed started election denialism before it was fun and cool, they responded by modernizing their system and they have been the class of the nation since. There's a reason why Florida has their results done and out before a lot of people, we were talking during the midterms, the midterm live stream that, you know, Florida was done and counted as the fourth largest state, third largest state in the union, I believe. Yeah. Third largest state. It's California, then Texas, then Florida, then New York, I believe. And they were done before New Hampshire was. And last I checked, uh, um, again, public school, graduate from Florida, so I ain't exactly great with these numbers, but there are a lot more people in Florida than there are in New Hampshire. Uh, so I think that there is a large, there is there is something to be said for if we really care about democracy and we really care about this kind of stuff, let's count these votes faster. Let's figure out a way that, I mean, like, let's 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 spend the money to make sure this has happened because Florida got better at it Anybody can get better at it. Trust me, I'm a Florida man. I can say these things. Right now, Mark Kelly up over Blake Masters. Masters at 852,375. Mark Kelly at 935,501. These numbers are surely going to change by the time that you listen to this, but just so we have it frozen in time. Obviously, these are very important because if the Democrats do sweep both, Nevada, and Arizona, then they own control of the Senate and buy themselves a we-don't-have-to-listen-to-mansion or cinema coupon should they win the runoff in Georgia. If they split here, then that means that control of the Senate does go through that runoff. So, we will obviously deal with that going forward. Meanwhile, we continue to look at the governor's races. It looks like uh, a Lombardo in Nevada is indeed running ahead of Adam Laxalt. We have seen that in a lot of these races. Uh, we got from, from uh, John Ralston in Nevada, the Oracle of Nevada, that he believes that Steve Sisolak is toast there. Meanwhile, Carrie Lake does look like she will overtake Katie Hobbs right now. Katie Hobbs with 67% uh, percent reporting in is clinging, clinging, clinging to a thin 0.22% lead, a difference of less than 4,000 votes. And there are a lot more votes to count. So we will probably not have to hear a lot about uh hear a lot about uh uh <laughs> Carrie Lake not winning, but we'll see. Meanwhile, in the house, 
it looks like the Republicans will have the majority, but geez, Louise, with cheese, will it be a thin one? We are almost assuredly in a dark Brandon's last stand scenario. Unless the Republicans are able to split the Senate, in that case, it's going to be kind of a hybrid between Dark Brandon's last stand in terms of the House result and the old crow flies at midnight, which would be Mitch McConnell regaining his power as Senate Majority Leader. At this point, it looks likely that the Democrats are going to retain the Senate, at least from the vantage point that I'm talking to you on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So we will see as we go forward. but. Uh, certainly a very tight margin, and it is Joe Biden taking a victory lap today in the traditional president's press conference after the midterms that there was no red wave. Indeed, it was a bon mot from Ben Shapiro that what looked like a red wave turned into a red wedding for the Republicans. A lot of soul searching. Uh, I have not changed my opinion from the end of our stream last night that this is now a very clear bump for Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis not taking any kind of victory lap, by the way, because now he has to go right back into hurricane governor. But. You know, when when you look at the tectonic plates, right now, Donald Trump uh, apparently furious with how some of his candidates performed. I can't imagine that he is in love with Peter Thiel, which is, you know, yet another gigantic fundraiser for which he's going to upset. Uh, J.D. Vance, who wound up getting money from Mitch McConnell, did not thank Donald Trump in his uh, victory speech in Ohio, you got to wonder whether or not Republican voters are going to look at what just happened and say, we've reached the end of the Trump playbook. Yes, Donald Trump is special. Yes, Donald Trump scored the biggest upset in political history for the presidency but his playbook is not repeatable. The idea that you take somebody that is nationally known, regardless of what baggage they have, you give them a populist message and you run as hard as you can is not something that happens just because you say it happens. Indeed, maybe the old wisdom is the best wisdom. That you want to know what a voting populace that is naturally predisposed to want stability, naturally predisposed to want confidence, naturally predisposed to not want chaos. They want, you know, regular Republicans. So maybe the perfect scenario is a bit of a hybrid, a man with a populist streak that knows how to play well with others. Maybe they need the 
Promagatist of Ron DeSantis. I coined that. Put that on the least popular bumper stickers ever sold. Obviously, we've got a million years to talk about all of those issues. Let's get into this AMA. But first. Our first question comes from Seth. I had a quandary. How much do you think that draining the strategic oil reserve helped the Democratic Party? And how much of effect do you think that it will have on the runoff in Georgia? I'm a Georgia resident, and the pulse that I had seen was a very blah for Warnock for Democrats and a very, well, damn, I guess I have to vote for Walker for Republicans. I just don't know how much the fact that gas prices stayed less high for a couple of months have helped the Dems. So this is two questions. Uh, I'll take the last part first. Ron Klain is the chief of staff for Joe Biden, and everybody in Biden world is taking a victory lap today. There's an old clip from the primary process uh, back in 2020 with the New York Times, where they filmed all of the editorial board interviews. And Joe Biden was saying that, hey, you guys always count me out. You count me out for dead. And then everybody who hit me is no longer in the race and I'm still here. What now? And that's very much how everybody is feeling. Very much how I said that they would be feeling if indeed Dark Brandon had his last stand. And look, they, they are they are jamming out that, uh, you know, Elton John. I'm still standing better than I ever did. I'm feeling like a little kid. But Ron Klain has been fairly transparent in his obsession with gas prices. And you know it based on what he tweets, what he retweets, and what he likes on Twitter. This is, I guess, an endorsement for Twitter being an actual thing. There's no doubt that the Biden administration understood, like anybody who could read a graph did, that the higher gas prices got, the lower Joe Biden's approval uh, approvals got. Now, while I still don't know whether or not I fully comprehend how much in the matrix people's economic anxiety trumped the idea that Roe was on the ballot, I still think Roe being on the ballot was a big thing. I'm going to have to uh, uh, take an L on the idea that democracy being on the ballot was probably a more of a motivator than I thought. However, I whether or not this did factor in, we do know for a fact that they cared about it. We know that they drained the strategic oil reserve so they could uh, create some kind of temporary buffer and gas prices did not spike when the Saudis spiked them leading into the midterms. As for Georgia, here's what we know. Brian Kemp ran about eight to eight and a half points ahead of Herschel Walker. So the question then becomes, was that Republicans who couldn't vote for Kemp or couldn't vote for Walker, but they love Kemp, or was it Stacey Abrams, Democrats, who decided they could not vote for Stacey, but they wanted to vote for Warnock? They believed in Kemp more than they believed in Abrams. 
I'm sure that there will be statistical analysis is done to this. The conventional wisdom going into it was that it is the Republicans that were ticket splitting. The question now becomes when you re-ask them that question for the recall, okay, possibly the Senate on the line. Now, who do you believe in the most? And you would make the argument that maybe that benefits Warnock. There is conventional wisdom to say that it benefits Warnock because now Kemp isn't going to be there to uh, drag Walker up any further than he was going to be. But then again, if Warnock won because of Kemp ticket splitters and they stay home, and this is only a, a turnout the base election, and the Democrats are already feeling pretty good, does that benefit the Republicans who now feel punched in the eye? Or are they demoralized? The other question is, who's going to come and barnstorm for old Herschel? You know, if I were, if I were, were Republican Jesus and I could just do whatever I wanted by way of, of uh, waving my, my Republican Jesus hands, much as you could turn water into wine, what I would want if I were running his campaign are two rallies. One featuring Brian Kemp, Ron DeSantis, and Glenn Youngkin. Three people for whom are very popular governors that scored big, big victories in their states that could lend their even hand on the till persona to Herschel Walker. And then I'd want another rally. I'd want a throwback rally. I'd want a feel-good rally. I want a rally that's not going to exist. I would want Trump and Pence. And everybody plays nice. And everybody says, look, it's very important that you go in there and, and vote for Herschel Walker. Now, this is not going to happen. In fact, Donald Trump might not even do a rally in Georgia, despite the fact that he got Herschel Walker into this mess in the first place. Because it seems almost certain now that Herschel Walker will not be any kind of deciding vote to oust Mitch McConnell, which was part of the reason why Donald Trump wanted a bunch of Trump loyalists in the Senate in the first place. Now that that dream is dead, he might just leave Herschel out on the side of the road. We do not know. But those would be the two rallies I would want if I were Republican Jesus and I was trying to get Herschel Walker uh, elected. If I were Raphael Warnock, if I were Democrat Jesus, if I were Democratic Jesus, I would want Joe Biden. I would want Bill Clinton. I would want Barack Obama. And I would want Stacey Abrams to take a nice trip to Cancun. Stacey, have I told you how great the weather is? Ted Cruz loves it. He left a five-star review. All right. Moving on. Michael from Oregon. I'm curious to know what type of story coming from a state such as Oregon or North Dakota would get you interested to talk about it on your show. Also, since I assume you don't keep a close eye on my state, what type of news or political advertisements would you want viewers or listeners to share with you from states like mine? So, 
look, a common thing that I get in feedback is like, hey, have you paid attention to this? And it's a local race or an ad that people see on their television. And I love all of them. So let me make this clear. If you see something crazy on your television based on a, a political thing that's happening and it's in your state and you think that I don't care about it, send it my way. I want to see it. Let me be the judge. Uh, I am a content factory and you never know where the diamonds in the rough are going to come from. So uh, uh, in general with Oregon, you know, Oregon's a weird state and a lot of people, a lot of East Coast people like myself don't really know a lot about Oregon because you don't really go out there all that often. West Coast people know it. And and I was very privileged to spend, you know, that that damn near decade on the West Coast when I was living in California because I was able to see a lot of cities and states that I probably would not have spent a lot of time in otherwise. So Seattle and Portland would be two of them. What a lot of people don't realize about both Washington and Oregon is that they're kind of a lot more like Texas than you'd think. Like Portland and Seattle are, are a lot more like Austin, uh, of, which is to say that stuff gets red real quick as soon as you go outside of it but there's not enough population to really turn it into a red state. I am fascinated with both of those cities, not only because they are liberal to a level that often can make like the Bay area keep up. Like (laughs) Oakland and San Francisco, the only people competing on the block of who can be the most left leaning are Seattle and Portland. Like that. Those are the, those are the only two LA is not that liberal. San Diego is certainly not, not that liberal. And, and that's pretty much it for the major cities on, on the West Coast. And everywhere else is not even in the same league. You know, you're in, you're in AAA. You're in AA. You, 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 all y'all are Bull Durham's. You know, Austin, Bull Durham. You are, you are a workman-like minor league player when it comes to being liberal. Uh, uh, West Coast. That's, that's, you know, that's Nolan Ryan. (laughs) That's Ken Griffey Jr. Like it's, it ain't nothing but greats. When it comes to cities that are being liberal, all the cities on the West coast are walking out of the cornfields and field of dreams. Like they are legendarily liberal cities. So I I'm fascinated by the dichotomy there. I'm also fascinated by any kind of macro trends I do think that crime continues to be something that will affect uh, electoral politics just because we had the midterm situation that we had. I don't think that that's going to go away because, uh, and this is going to be a conversation for another day. What has, what time has run out on is the Republicans not having a lockstep. Everybody repeats the same answer on abortion. And so if this election was defined by abortion, then Everybody's going to have to get together and learn to say the following phrase. I will not support any national abortion legislation. If our strategy going through Roe versus Wade is the states need to decide, then guess what? That's what it is after Roe versus Wade goes down. I am not supporting anything. Lindsey Graham, shut it. Shut it. Silencio. Uh-uh. That's, I, I believe that's where the Republicans are going to land. Uh, if Adam Laxalt does not win in Nevada, you can credit the fact that uh, the Republicans were not in lockstep. Lindsey Graham might have cost the Republicans control of the Senate by putting that bill up there. 
because it put the lie to any Republican that was saying, I respect my pro-choice state's decision. When I was watching all the ads that were running all through Sunday football in Las Vegas during that race, it was all about how Adam Laxalt actually wants to ban abortion nationwide. So if that goes away, I do think that we're still at a place where a bad Democratic night, which might be in 24, would eventually lead to tough on crime Democrats. One of the what ifs, if we're going to do Marvel what if variants, what if the Democrats did get wiped out on Tuesday? I believe Mayor Pete would have rebranded himself as Bill Clinton in 92. I believe it would have been tough on crime, Mayor Pete, Secretary Pete, President Pete, whatever. So crime is something that I'm, that I'm curious about in Oregon. Uh, uh, culture is something that I'm curious about in Oregon. All sorts of stuff. Wind's starting to whip up here. Thank you, thank you to everybody who has been with us through this entire process. Of course, you can support this program by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you can kick in money. I'm recording this before we know what happened. So obviously we have no idea whether or not we're going to any kind of runoff. Obviously the 2024 season starts immediately. So with all that being said, one more time, I very much appreciate you guys sending me all over the country to cover these races. Uh, I thank you for your faith in giving me an opportunity to talk about stuff that I know is very, very seriously, but, but trying to spin it in the way that I believe is something that makes you not want to turn things off and, um, stay engaged. And that's really my biggest goal. So with that being said, the people that make this financially possible, I owe you my livelihood. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to those in the Titanic $10 tier, I have to say thank you to Andres, Matt, Craig, MC Dradio, Jason, Unsafe DB Level, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana's turn to Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Jen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. Thank you specifically to those guys. Thank you to the Donors Club. Thank you to everybody who has been a part of this. Now let's get... Back to the coverage. Ladies and gentlemen, I am breaking in to my mom's work day so she can make a cameo on the podcast. Mom, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. 
Uh, everybody has asked, so uh, I will have you tell them yourself how you are feeling because a lot of the audience cares a lot about you. So how are you feeling? How is your health? My health is 100%. I am uh, I'm totally back to normal, feeling great and thank everyone for their their thoughts and care and support. To show how healthy you are, Ron DeSantis won the state by 20 points. What do you think? That sucks. <laughs> you hated Charlie Chris. You knew Charlie Chris was a donkey from the moment that, that he ran, right? I knew he wasn't going to win. Yeah. I knew that was a given. There was no, no question about it. But you liked Val Demings. I did like Val Demings very much. I do not like Rubio at all. I don't, I, I don't like his position on gun control, mostly. Now, here's the... Here's the big thing, though, because what's happened in, in the country is that a lot of people think with the way that the midterm shook out, Democrats are probably going to keep the Senate. Uh, now they're going to lose the House, but by a very thin margin, it's a good result for them. The only bright spot or one of the only bright spots was down here with DeSantis in Florida. And now there's a lot of anti-Trump pro DeSantis argument. I know you don't like DeSantis, but I think you hate Trump more is this a lesser of two evil things? If, if if DeSantis can vanquish Trump from the political sphere, are, are you are you apt to maybe, if not be happy about it, root it on a little bit? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do. Um, I do not care a great deal for DeSantis, but I would definitely take him over Trump. The enemy of your enemy is your friend in yes. this particular case. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I'll let you get back. But I literally, my mom works from home. So I literally just ran into a room. I did not plan this. And so now, there we go. I promised a cameo of you on, on, on the show. So this is this is what they get. Say, say goodbye to everyone. Bye, everyone. Have a great day. Great week. Stephen writes, During the primary season, the Democrats proposed promoting the clown side of the GOP to make it easier in the midterm election. How did that work out? Did anything come of it? So it's very funny because the head of the Democratic Congressional Committee, uh, uh, yeah, let me look up his name, Sean Maloney, I believe it is, uh, He took a lot of crap. Sean Patrick Maloney. He took a lot of crap for doing what you just said. Putting a bunch of uh, of MAGA people forward because they would be easier to beat than traditional Republicans. Establishment Republicans. And I was one to say, I don't know, man. You're really wishing on the monkey paw right there. Be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And I am here to tell you that when all the dust had settled, all of the candidates that the Democratic Congressional Committee spent money to advance because they'd be easier to beat were indeed beaten. So, Sean Patrick Maloney chose correctly he spent his money correctly he wished on the monkey paw for a new car and he was delivered a tesla but a funny thing happened 
<laughs> because the monkey paw always gets its man. Because while he engineered a tremendous night for the Democrat, Sean Patrick Maloney, he was also running for his own seat. And he lost. <laughs> he got in that new car. And just like Casino, that thing went kaboom. So while his strategy worked, he ultimately had to pay the karmic price himself. Never, ever, ever, ever wish on the monkey's paw. Jason wrote in, I've heard a couple times that you said you're not a fan of ranked choice voting, and you've hinted at reasons why, but I've never heard a full explanation. Can you go into detail about why you do not like ranked choice voting? So it's not that I don't like ranked choice voting. I'm in theory fine with ranked choice voting. What I'm not a fan of is the idea that ranked choice voting is a panacea. That ranked choice voting is something that will fix our system. And this goes into a more philosophical belief for me. I am a believer that systems do not affect people. That people affect systems. And now sometimes people can get into spirals. Sometimes people can become uh, uh, too fixed in their, in their uh, patterns of behavior. However, when I was in the Bay Area and I was in Oakland, both Oakland and San Francisco have ranked choice voting. And they have had it for over a decade. Do you believe that that has made uh, politics in the Bay Area any more diverse? Uh, no, it hasn't at all. They're getting about the same candidates that I believe you would have got if you just had the same first-past-the-post system that you normally had. The people that get the endorsements get the endorsements. Uh, you know, everybody agrees with each other, so you don't, in general, get many negative ads. So it's not to say that I believe that the, the philosophy of ranked choice voting is wrong. I just don't believe that changing the way people interact with each other is necessarily going to change the behavior. On some level, I can get the point of incentives, but if we don't have a fundamental reshaping of our understanding of what we want out of politics, and we don't have a fundamental reshaping to me, like my biggest reform is a philosophical reform. Here's what I want desperately. I want people to understand that we don't work for politicians, that we don't work for parties. Parties work for us. They come to us hat in hand and they beg for our vote like dogs. We decide whether or not we are going to give them a vote. It's the same reason why I say that not voting is both cool and nice. Because every once in a while when your dog is very poorly behaved and they come to you for a treat, you do not want to reward them. Elsewise, they will get the impression that you will give them a treat no matter what. So, I believe that philosophically we need to understand that. I believe that philosophically we need to understand that there is a game to this process. 
that there's a strategy to that game and that part of that strategy intrinsically is getting you emotionally invested so you vote. And then I want everybody to make the decision on whether or not they want to. Not because they feel obligated to, not because the world's going to fall apart if they don't, because politics is the art of hyperbole. It is the art of shading the truth in the way that a lawyer would shade the truth. It's the same way that or same reason why most politicians are former lawyers, because there is a, sca- a shared skill set. That's what I want. I don't think that deciding how I don't think that working within our philosophical system in a way that allows us to rank our, our choices, which is more complicated. I know it's not that complicated. Please rank choice voting. People don't come at me, but it's more complicated than just pick a person. I don't think that that changes things in, in the way that I want things changed. And so that's why I blanch at the idea when people want to use that as well, here, uh, uh, take two ranked choice votings and call me in the morning. Bodie writes, I'm a firefighter in Arizona, and I'm sure you've heard about the armed patriots guarding ballot drop boxes here. The state is stepping in to step up security at the boxes so people can drop off their ballots without feeling like they're being intimidated. Today, I received an email from the state of Arizona explaining what to do if we respond to a ballot drop box that's on fire. I found two things very interesting about the ballot drop box fires. First, it's harder than you'd think to light ballots on fire while they're in the box. Second, they're using a small cooktop portable fire suppression system in the boxes just in case there is a fire. The small fire extinguishers are mounted inside the box with double-sided tape, and it's recommended that the election workers don't close the lid too hard because the extinguishers might fall. This is a very janky operation. Uh, And then he included a PDF that... uh, explained all this process. You know, it's funny reading this. The only thing I could think of was in, in, you know, the Trump administration, that this would be something that would cause its own 24 hour news cycle. If Donald Trump just summarized this, like you can just hear it in his voice. You know, these drop boxes, you can start a fire right in it, right in it. Fire. Boom. All of your votes gone. We don't want that. We don't want hard, hard one votes burnt up in a fire. And then uh, everybody would have been like, Trump calls for votes to be burnt in the boxes. Think peace. Why vote burning is really turning up the heat on election denialism. Whatever. I don't want to say that I'm anti-drop boxes because I'm not philosophically anti-drop boxes. I don't understand why it became a live or die proposition for democracy is on the ballot people that Dropbox need to be a part of our process. Uh, I ideally, I think that Dropboxes, if they exist, should be at places where you have a police presence. You know, say what you will about Dinesh D'Souza and and believe whatever you want to believe about him. I I personally find him to be a polemicist uh, and somebody that is there to uh, arouse suspicion rather than prove claims. I I find him to be, you know, in, in that arena of, of political speech and not somebody who is, uh, uh, you know, a very thorough journalist. I I find him to be more on the Michael Moore side, if that makes sense, if we're going to use a cross aisle comparison. 
Michael Moore is not there to actually prove anything. He's there to get you mad about stuff. Same thing with Dinesh D'Souza. But that being said, just like Michael Moore, if you leave a door open, then you can't be upset when somebody walks through it. And if you've got a bunch of unmonitored drop boxes, then you can't be mad when somebody says, what the hell could happen with all of these unmonitored drop boxes? And that was the whole premise of the 2000 mules thing or whatever. So if you're going to have drop boxes, then have them out there and, uh, uh, you know, have them uh, monitored, have, uh, uh, you know, have people out there so you can say, look, uh, 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 this is the schedule or they're outside of other places. Like I, I think some people had drop boxes. Some precincts had drop boxes in front of police stations, you know, so at least you have to dare somebody to break the law in front of a police station. But I would, I would like to step that up even further. Again, if democracy is on the ballot and we care about this kind of stuff, then we need to care about it being almost theatrically secure. And then the results got to come fast. That, to me, is my cure for election denialism. But that being said, yeah, if, if you are leaving them unattended and you're worried that some ding-dong is going to uh, uh, throw a Molotov cocktail in there and light all these ballots on fire, and so you've put a bunch of, you've taped a bunch of, uh, <laughs> you know, fire extinguishers to the roof of it, like, yeah, that's less than ideal. I'm not a fan of it. Jerry writes, in today's age of abundant internet content, how can you tell if a source is reliable and not something misleading, intentionally or not? I want to do my own research every time I do. I'm inundated with so many websites, but I can't make heads or tails of what to trust. All right. I knew that if I actually did an AMA that there's going to be some of these things that some people are going to be upset about. But these are philosophically my beliefs. I got a hard time with the word truth. I got a hard time with the word facts. And I have a hard time with those words because in a past life, and I guess in my current life, I had to synthesize them. Well, now I have to synthesize them. Back then, I needed to find them, right? When I was a reporter, your job is to go out into the field and harvest facts, harvest truth. And when you're out there in that field, and when you're trying to find stuff, you've got a lot of best practices. You've got a lot of ways that you can not be lazy. You've got a lot of ways that you can double check. Your entire journalistic operation is built to prevent misinformation from coming through. You've got editors. You've got fact checkers and sub organizations. You got copy editors to make sure that wording is not making things unclear. And even then, sometimes you get lied to. Sometimes the facts are not what you believe them to be. Sometimes you earnestly make a mistake. So while we can say that there are operating current beliefs, which is what I tend to believe in, much like the scientific method, anything is possible. I just require proof to see that it is. 
I, I, I never believe that anything is for sure because being too sure about something is the way that I know for a fact I have been the most humiliated in my career. When things were so clear to me, so explosive, that we had to run with it. And so with that being said, what I have done since I was a journalist, now that I'm an analyst, I guess would be the, 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 uh, uh, the nice way to say it. BS artist would be the way you would say it. If you know, we were in a Mel Brooks movie. Uh, Number one, it helps to specialize yourself in certain areas. So if you're a jack of all trades, master of none, you're going to wind up finding certain outlets for which you trust. And basically you're betting your knowledge on their successes and failures. I don't think that that's a great way to be particularly well-informed. I think it's a way to be broadly informed. But if you're doing that, then I would recommend to anybody listening to this is don't get too strident about your opinions. Because, again, you are basically just doing copy pasta from facts to your opinions. If you specialize in something, you read a few books on it, you talk to people about it, you write into podcasts and stuff like that, uh, you write into uh, a people who write these things. Trust me, journalists love feedback. They love, especially if you're just writing an unironic fan letter and you want to ask a, a general question, they love when that happens. Don't be a dick. Don't suggest, don't critique them. Don't say like, like, well, I think that I love you and or but you should do blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Just say, I really love your work. I have a larger question. I'm curious your opinion. People love that you'll usually get something back. If you do that 10 times, you'll probably get eight emails back. If you specialize in something, you have a better chance of it. And so there are a few things for which I have tried to specialize in. I've tried to specialize in campaign theory. I've read a lot of books on campaign theory. I've studied a lot of history on campaign theory. I've tried, but I know that there's other elements of it that I am not great in. I'm not great in understanding exactly how everything is counted everywhere. I'm not great at understanding uh, how the the lawmaking process works. I am betting my opinion on the people that I trust. So when we extrapolate that to the world of the internet, number one, I'm never going to be able to crap on the fact that the revolution that gave uh, uh, random people a say in things is anything but the greatest gift the universe has ever given me <laughs> because while I do believe that I probably could be working at a major news outlet, I don't think I'd be as happy. I think I'd be frustrated. I think I'd be frustrating to a lot of people because I tend to be fairly insufferable when I'm working for people and I'm not happy. Uh, so it's a better existence. It's a better work-life balance that I get to do this. I didn't have to ask anybody's permission for me to do this podcast from my mom's porch while I'm drinking 
a Cigar City Highlight IPA. I got to do it for you because I have a relationship directly with you. So I'll never be able to say that this has created less of a, a realm of information because I also very much rely on, if not citizen journalists, then journalists that are kind of like me, data journalists that are kind of like me. That's why I love having Evan Scrimshaw on, who, by the way, boy, howdy, are we going to have to uh, 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 roll out the red carpet because that man came out and was strident in the way that only Evan Scrimshaw can be, and he was right. So for anybody that enjoyed him having to eat a plate of poop after Glenn Youngkin got elected, uh, uh, you are going to have to watch him trot all the way around the bases a few times when he comes back on. But he's just a guy. He's just a guy in Ottawa. And he works for the Lions. He gets paid per thing. And now he's got a, a, a side hustle. He's got a sub stack. And he comes on shows like mine. That's great. I love it. Does that mean that everybody who randomly shouts their opinion into the ether is worthwhile? No. But it wasn't that way with newspapers or radio or television. All of this is for you to value and determine whether or not you believe it to be the best practice of the moment. I know it's an unsatisfying answer. A lot of people ask me stuff like, well, how do I find the unbiased news? You don't. What you do is you keep reading. If you really want to get good at something, you got to specialize. Otherwise, you find people you can trust. Then you just got to hold on loosely. Understand that they might not always be right. And then maybe also figure out where their blind spots are. Because that's a benefit that you have that they don't. Like, I remember when I was really into movies, I would know certain reviewers that I would look to for certain things. So I loved back in the times that I was really, really into, you know, I knew like, you know, my coterie of movie reviewers. Uh, I knew certain ones were not into slapstick comedy and I love slapstick comedy. Right. So if it was like a, a, a people that would never like the hangover, but I love the hangover. I want people to say dirty words and then get hit in the head with a, with a falling pipe. Love it. But I also knew that the people that would like those slapstick comedies might not like the new Wes Anderson movie. And that first reviewer probably loves the new Wes Anderson movie. If you want to take that next level beyond betting on somebody for their information, also try to think to yourself, when they're wrong, not that they're dumb, not that they're stupid, but maybe they're blind on this topic. I will say for me, and, and I'll probably do a larger episode on, on what I got wrong about this race or these races, is that back when Trump started his ascendancy, I had a tendency to, once he, he mowed through the primaries, I was shy about betting against him. Because he had just done some stuff I ain't never seen before in my life. 2020 happened. I kind of chalked that up to COVID because so many things were crazy. Uh, so this to me was me overvaluing the Trump playbook. I was overvaluing 
the idea that Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz, because they were so well known, that that would work for them and not against them in a way that it worked for Trump. And what I was blind on was how toxic the Trump brand had become, how many, if, if even if they weren't never Trump Republicans, how much the like, no, not him too, Republicans there were. So that's something for me. And I try to keep uh, an inventory for myself so I can be the best for you guys. But even if I didn't know, and I was just chugging ahead, I would encourage you guys to understand where you thought my blind spots were. And then factor that into your own idea of what you find to be capital T, capital T, the truth. One last email here. This idea is inspired by what you have said in the past about not voting being a valid choice. It is a choice. I was wondering if we can get a deeper dive into how politicians view our voting choices. The sucker's choice, which I hear a lot, is if you don't vote for politician A, they will not care about the needs of our community. This is pushed twice as hard for politicians who are guaranteed to win by a large margin, which applies to a depressing number of contests on my ballot. Could a future deep dive for PX3 add nuance to this? What makes a politician realize that they need to fight for your community? Not voting, and he gives these options. Not voting, voting but skipping any races with no good candidates, voting for the opponent, voting for third-party candidate. It'd be awesome to know the X's and O's and how these voters are viewed by those in power. Well, ideally, we don't want to get to election day to influence our candidates. So voter enthusiasm is something that has been very much radically changed by social media. There are a lot of ways that campaigns can measure campaign enthusiasm that don't rely on having their campaign director drive through neighborhoods and count yard signs. They can look at social media interaction. They can look at email click-throughs. They can look at email signups. They can look at ActBlue recurring donations. What I would encourage you to do is do not engage. If you don't believe in it, don't engage. If it's not specifically pursuant to your interests, don't engage. I would also say email them. Say, hey, you would have my support if you did this. Until then, no. And, you know, maybe they are going to do it. Indeed, you don't know what? I said before, this is also total bias on my part. I said before that if you're a journalist, if you want to email a journalist, don't, you know, go barking orders to them. Bark orders to politicians. Am I saying this because I came from journalism and not politics? Maybe. <laughs> but I would say that, that for me, that holds true. They work for you. They are auditioning for you. You are their boss and they are applying for a job. And if somebody came in, you liked most of what they did, but they had a mustache that would creep out the customers and you said, hey, look, you shaved the mustache, you got a job. Then I believe that that should also count into the idea of how you, eat, uh, how you, how you deal with them. Past that on election day, I don't think that you should be in the business of sending messages with your vote. Vote your conscience. Do what you want. Your vote is precious. Democracy is a beautiful, beautiful, fragile, chaotic thing. 
There's a reason why we talk so much about it. There's a reason why we get so scared about it. But at the end of the day, the one thing that should be sacred is that you have a say. And yeah, when you're looking at hundreds of thousands of other says, it might seem insignificant. But boy, there have been billions who have lived on this earth who would wish to have the say that you have if you are listening to this in a Western democracy. And with that, as the wind continues to pick up here in Orlando, Florida, we will wrap things up today. Until next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying, for the end of our midterm week, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, still more talk about politics, but baby, this is the only show that dares discuss Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.